Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Lori, let's start off with a bit about your your background. What were you doing before the whole impact space really developed? And how did you kind of get into this type of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been out in the work today world for about 30 years. And uh, so the first half of that was dominated by my work in the uh, nonprofit uh, sector as the CEO of national and international environmental sustainability organizations. Uh, principally, a big chunk of that time was as the founding uh, executive director of an organization called the Orion Society, which publishes Orion Magazine, which is a uh, kind of like a Harper's or New Yorker uh, quality publication focused on people, nature, place, and uh, the various connect- connections between uh, those things. And uh, um, yeah, and and that that uh, uh, kind of led to me starting at some point in the early 2000s a nonprofit think tank and, and incubating agency uh, or organization. And uh, one of one of the projects that I incubated in that organization uh, was the thing that trans ended up transitioning me into. Um, the uh, at that point uh, impact space that was just uh, being birthed through uh, the emergence of B corporations, certified B corporations, and impact investing out of the think tanks uh, that had uh, developed them. Great, and yeah, you mentioned B corps. Um, how did you first get involved? How did you hear about B corps? How did you? Get, I think your company was one of the founding B Corps. Is that right? Yeah. I, uh, so I started this digital media initiative in um, this incubating nonprofit that I mentioned. Uh, I, I received grant monies from a Bay Area foundations to develop the idea. But very early on, I started um, meeting people who straddled the philanthropic and the uh, social enterprise world who were saying, you know, you've got a big idea here. Uh, you're going to need some serious resources to kind of do it properly. And there's uh, likely a, a, a strong business model somewhere in this idea. Why don't, why don't you think about it not as a nonprofit organization, but as this brand new thing that's about to emerge from think tanks uh, called the uh, Certified B Corporation. And uh, I also take a look at this other thing that's emerging pretty much at the same time called impact investing. And and I started researching that in going to meetings of, say, Investor Circle and Social Venture Network, and and, uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. And I I really, having worked for as long as I had in the sustainability sector, and and in that work, I worked with uh, the great pleasure and honor to work with some of the leading thinkers in sustainability, whether it be like Bill McKibben on climate change issues or uh, Wendell Berry on agricultural uh, issues and community development 
um, matters or Jane Goodall or E.O. Wilson on, on biological uh, diversity issues. Uh, I, I, all that work kind of gave me a pretty strong grounding in uh, the, the whole range of sustainability challenges. But alongside that, I developed a really strong awareness that business as it was being conducted uh, in throughout the world, particularly in developed economies, was just had some fundamental flaws to them. You know, and these are things that have been discussed by ecological economists and, and others for quite a long time. You know, the the uh, excluding of of, uh, of of you know natural measurements of of, of natural uh, uh, services, um, you know, ecosystem services from from economic modeling and uh, economic. Um, strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it, it was a no-brainer for me to uh, kind of reach the conclusion that we needed to change the paradigm of business dramatically to have uh, a realistic chance of finding a sustainable uh, path for humanity on this planet. And in the uh, what I was seeing in the development of the certified B corporations, and also in impact investing, at least in uh, kind of the uh, perspective and words of some of the more sophisticated uh, advocates for impact investing early on, I started seeing the glimmerings of uh, a, something rather profound uh, and, and, and very rich in a transformative way emerging and I wanted to be a part of it. And so with the support of the foundation that had supported uh, my uh, early, you know, my early work on this project, I transitioned it into a, uh, 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 this hybrid, new hybrid uh, for-profit model and became, and it became one of the first B corporations or a founding B corporation. So one of the first 20 or so uh, companies and, and, uh, I also, you know, very much bought into this idea for for that for this type of mission-driven, double, triple, bottom-line company that you wanted, you really needed to have very mission-aligned funder, funding, capital, uh, helping to, um, to to fuel it, and so you know, I started at the same time seeking out impact investors to to fund this company and indeed had some of the first in one case the first ever impact investment under that name into the company uh, through the first impact investing specific online exchange so i yeah i was an early en entrant into the space and to this day i'm a uh, huge advocate for both um uh, in, in things like b corporations as well as uh, of course, impact investing. Yeah, you know, I was, the, the, a quick aside is you, you're one of the people who has the most mutual connections with me on LinkedIn. I think you have like 614 <laughs> mutual. I was trying to find another one. I think Andy Fife from B-Lab has 618 or something, so slightly, but uh -huh. it's funny. Um, I'm in a race with Andy. Okay. That's right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're sort of involved in so many spaces like, you know, you've, or have worked in, you know, media environment, social justice, play space, 
investing, entrepreneurship, social ventures, impact investing. What about right now? Like, what are you most excited about or energized by in the, the work you're doing today? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, broadly speaking, I'm just energized by the um, kind of, I, I don't think it's unfair to say the exponential rise of impact in the world, um, especially in the last couple of years. It, it was uh, a, a kind of a, a very slow going, I would say, at least to my experience in the first few years in 2007, 2008, 2009, um, to uh, kind of find enough like-minded people uh, in the United States and around the world who kind of were, were um, uh, starting to focus on on these things like B corporations and impact investing. And that has uh, rather dramatically changed, especially in the last few years. And, uh, and um, indeed, the, the genesis for Impact Entrepreneur, which is a initiative I started in 2011, was very much designed to help that maturation process of the space along. Uh, initially through creating a, a global network of entrepreneurs, investors, scholars, and students uh, who were really keen on this uh, type of business and this kind of investing and, and the teaching of this these things in, in academia. Um, and then into consulting for a pretty wide range of early and growth stage companies, as well as academic institutions and, and impact investors. And then more recently in the work that we're doing with the Impact Entrepreneur Center, uh, all the educational and, and incubation programs that we're, we've either launched or we're in the process of, of setting up and launching. But uh, that all this work that, uh, I'm engaged in with Impact Entrepreneur has really kind of grown up with the space and, and was designed to grow up with the space. I, I reached the conclusion uh, into, you know, in these early years of, you know, 10, 11 years ago uh, that yes, there would be tipping points and thresholds that would be reached, but the healthiest perspective to take was a long-term one that, um, that you know uh, that that real change in the business landscape using these kinds of business structures and new business structures and and, and investment instruments that it was it, it was going to take time for them to to catch hold and for the kind of the truest or more most authentic parts of these initiatives to really become the dominant thing the dominant ones that was going to take uh, time and a lot of work by a lot of different people uh, in, in a lot of different places. So, uh, and that's happening. I mean, we, we're we're making huge strides, but uh, we still have a quite a mountain to climb. And uh, it's just that the numbers of people who are uh, working to push that rather sizable boulder up the very steep hill are. Have, have have really grown in numbers and uh, there's a lot of energy there being put behind that effort. You know, one of the things I've been struggling with, I think a lot of us in this space, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, but this idea of um, impact versus 
market rate returns and can you have both or are you, uh, you know, if you really do have market rate returns, are you really creating that high of impact? And I, I'm just really interested in, I think you've probably have these conversations with, you know, investors and foundations. And I'm curious, one, if you think that the, um, the whole, like, we, we want to have our impact and market rate returns. Is that a, is that a bit of a, we're, we're sort of hoping that's true, but maybe it's not really true. Or I'm just kind of curious what you, what you, how do you think about that sort of impact versus market rate conundrum? Well, I think it's a big mistake to make it an either or situation. You know, either you're getting your cake and eating it too, or you're, or you're not, and you're having to uh, only work in a concessionary return way. I, th- I just, I think that that's a, a terribly simplistic uh, way to that, that uh, people um, kind of approach these questions. And I find that the ones who usually vocalize it are usually the ones who are newer to the space and really haven't kind of delved deeply enough into the nuances of the space. The reality is that there's a very wide spectrum of approach and context to impact investing. And uh, market rate or market beating returns are a part of that spectrum, uh, particularly if you look in you know, areas like um, you know, renewable energy with all the tax incentives and all the uh, support there is to make this transition away from fossil fuels to renewable energy as quickly as possible. Um, there's just a, a, a lot of ways to make a lot of money uh, right. doing good in the world. So, But at the same time, there's just this very wide spectrum of, um, uh, of projects, of, 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 of companies that Ha, are, are you know are building a uh, uh, have in their DNA you know uh, really serious social and environmental uh, goals and and uh, products and services that they're offering and uh, that they uh, you know there's a wide range of of just how how profitable they're going to be um, it gets further. Uh, Complicated by the that the continuum of uh, these companies, the 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 growth continuum of these companies, that in many cases, and I've worked with a wide range of of early stage companies from renewable energy to sustainable food and ag, sustainable clothing and fibers, microfinance, waste stream technology companies. I mean, you name it. I, I see it coming through. The Impact Entrepreneur Network, um, but the uh, um, one of the one of the uh, archetypes of a impact company that I see out there is that often there is a longer timeline to maturation, to profitability, to scaling up, in part because they're these companies often are, are being very disruptive on more than one level. Uh, they may have a product that is just so brand new uh, that they that there's um, the time to establish that uh, that product and create a, a customer base. It take, takes its time. Um, there's often a uh, a, a, a really heavy um, uh, educational component to an impact company uh, alongside just the, the sheer 
production of a of a, a good or service, uh, uh, education into to you know to the community of customers and stakeholders. So, um, what all this kind of means in terms of impact investing and, and uh, the re- spectrum of return expectations is that really what we what we need is to look at impact companies often very differently than than the uh, traditional uh, companies and and so what we're doing at impact entrepreneur center and uh, alongside others who are deep into this in the space such as like mission Ex- uh, investors exchange and rsf finance uh, and and a number of others we're uh, looking at new and better ways to fund to invest in these companies and um, this is all uh, or much of it is taking the form or, or coming under the rubric of uh, integrated finance integrated impact finance so that's something that i'm I'm very interested in and uh, We've recently re- released a report with Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors uh, focused on, um, among other things, integrated finance. Uh, and I'd be happy to talk more about that because, because there's a lot to say. Yeah. And, and that's just so folks are clear, is that sort of blending philanthropic plus, you know, maybe concessionary or grants with an equity? Yeah. Maybe you could speak a little bit more about that sort of approach you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's worth differentiating between blended finance and integrated finance <clears throat> the way uh, I and I think m- m- a number most others kind of would would differentiate the two would be blended <clears throat> finance has been around for quite a long time that's usually <clears throat> uh, using kind of government programs government funding to that uh, to uh, that in such a ways where it will leverage private capital down the road uh, integrated finance, as you just suggested, is uh, really a, a bringing together under the same umbrella uh, philanthropic funding, whether that be grants or increasingly program-related investments, you know, low-interest low loans that come out of their uh, 5% granting uh, program granting that they do, or mission-related investments that are uh, investments made out of their kind of the you know their their full asset base uh, the the you know the other ninety five percent of assets uh, so philanthropic funding uh, as well as private um, capital whether that be uh, concessionary uh, be done through concession uh, concessionary rate loans or market rate loans uh, safes uh or uh and then of course private equity it is my personal opinion having worked with quite a few impact companies uh where the question of investor alignment is so crucial that in many cases uh the jump immediately to private equity or or, or you know selling equity stakes in your company to fund uh, your growth comes way too early and uh, so the integrated finance uh, new continuum that's that uh, we're working on uh, is putting forth a uh, uh, 
kind of a graduated uh, step, you know, a ladder of uh, funding for companies that is much more attuned to the particular needs and uh, kind of current realities of growing impact companies. So in other words, uh, avoiding putting expectations on the amount that a, uh, uh, a growing company can return to investors before it actually has enough cash flow to do that without compromising the, you know, the, their, um, their, you know, the stability of the company. And uh, so the use of, for example, uh, philanthropic monies running run run through donor advised funds into early stage impact companies. That is one of the more uh, important and I think exciting trends in the space. Uh, mo- you know, many foundations and many philanthropists don't know that they can actually fund a quote unquote for profit company. You know, a social enterprise. They can. And donor advised funds are well set up to do that. It has to be done carefully, but it's being done uh, with increasing regularity and a donor advised fund like Impact Assets, which is the largest impact specific donor advised fund in the space, at least to my knowledge. Um, They've been doing this for quite a long time and have a lot of experience around it. So, um, yeah, so integrated finance Ultimately, is uh, does you know does, is being designed to be much more sensitive to the uh, the, the needs and the, often the kind of the realities you know i.e. this longer timeline to uh, for the company to develop than a traditional company and uh, uh, there's still a lot more that can be done around this. There's more that can be done at the governmental level. Uh, and certainly there's a, a steep educational curve to get um, the trillion dollars of philanthropic monies that's in that that is sitting in private foundations just in the United States aware that these new instruments and these new strategies are available to them and to educate them uh, or to bring them into the conversation about uh, what we call impact economy building. Uh, and that's another thing that yeah. we could go into if you want. Yeah, I was just at the B Corp retreat recently in New Orleans, uh, and they're talking about the B economy. So it's certified B Corps, all the legal benefit corporations, everyone who's taken the B impact assessment, the investors who are investing in B Corps, academia. But I, really quickly, before I lose a thread, um, you'd mentioned donor advised funds. And I do know some high net worth and other folks who have started those. What is their, why are, why are donor advised funds better or different than some of the existing structures? And why is that important? Well, it's a, uh, it, it is the, maybe at this point in time, the easiest way for an individual to give, to get money to a uh, early stage impact company uh and get a tax deduction for doing that i see so that's um so that and you know that give so that there therefore that funding can come out of their you know their philanthropic uh 
monies and and uh, be an expression of their philanthropic strategy. So that is uh, our, the, you know, I think the the, the most uh, important role that donor advised funds are playing for foundations. The donor advised fund uh, kind of plays a um, uh, over, oversight uh, offers a an over, uh, oversight role that the foundations may feel that they don't have the capacity to do themselves when you're talking about, uh, um, you know, uh, that, that uh, segue into the for-profit, um, for-profit, again, in quotes, because we're talking about the for-benefit uh, space. But since there is a, uh, that, pro- that, that for-profit component to it, uh, that's core to it, there, it does, uh, um, it, it it runs into a hundred and some odd years of of uh, uh, you know, philanthropic practice and regulations around that, and, uh, and and a lot of that is antiquated, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people's opinion. Uh, but the uh, donor advised fund by providing that intermediary um, where they can uh, kind of. Uh, do the do the due diligence and oversight over the uh, eventual recipient of the funds. It takes a lot of pressure off the foundation. So those are those are two reasons why DAFs are being used at this point with increasing frequency. Got it. And if you could, are there maybe one or two challenges that? Maybe this is more of a broad question. You know, it could relate to impact investing and the flow of capital, but. What are the top two challenges that you that keep you up at night in this space? It's like, oh, if we could only do X, you know, we would solve Y, or, or I don't know. Like, does that does anything come up for you with that question? Uh, well, sure. I mean, I probably could come up with ten or twenty of, uh, points, but I think the one that uh, it's very uh, close to the work that we do because I feel it, and the people that uh, I work regularly with around the world in this in the space who do similar work to what impact entrepreneur center does uh feel this too is that there is uh um a deficit of funding for the for for the ecosystem builders so whether that be innovation hubs impact innovation hubs or the think tanks uh, though, or, or, uh, you know, incubators, accelerators, these are all, these things, these, um, parts of the ecosystem that are, are absolutely necessary for pushing forward with the, uh, thinking around impact investing and, and entrepreneurship and the impact economy building, uh, and, uh, and act, the actual development of the, businesses that are going to be populating it it's very very underfunded and uh, that was one of the big takeaways from our recent international leadership summit that we did and and the report that we've just released uh and that's accessible from our our website yeah um i'll have folks i'll have you kind of name the the resources and website towards the end but you know this i i love this this uh, the thing you identified with the ecosystem. Um, I'm not sure if you knew, but our company, Lift Economy, we have a, we raised a million dollars, a little over a million dollars to invest in 10 women and people of color owned businesses 
around the United States. And we were determined to invest at least some of that money in the South and uh, the Southern United States. And one of the things that came up was, you know, there may be some entrepreneurs who are in the South. However, the, there's no ecosystem of support for those entrepreneurs. Like, I think we're pretty spoiled in mm-hmm. the, uh, the Bay mm-hmm. Area and in places like New York or Seattle, where you have, you know, hundreds of impact, individual angels and like, you know, the impact hub. Uh, and, but, but that doesn't really exist in a lot of places. So I really wanted to resonate with your thoughts on the, the ecosystem being a big problem. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, just recently, I've connected with a organization that works with 70 Southern universe colleges and universities, and we're uh, getting into discussions around how our uh, incubator program that we've recently designed uh, to be done in colleges and universities, as well as co-working hubs, uh, might be able to um, be uh, piloted in, in some of this uh, Southern Southern network of colleges and universities. So uh, uh, that's definitely kind of been on my radar recently, and in, in, in part of my conversations uh, with um, with people around around this question of you know how how do we efficiently build the ecosystem? Yeah, and it maybe dovetail with the democracy collaborative works around uh, work around anchor institutions and you know like having mm-hmm. a giant, giant university or a hospital in a place is a great source of you know, potential entrepreneur, like local sourcing, but the most, they outsource it to large, uh, yes. national. So yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. The, um, in the report that we've released with Rockefeller philanthropy, uh, it's called philanthropy, transforming finance, uh, building an impact economy. And, uh, there's a, kind of a, uh, the, the four dozen or so senior figures, uh, who came together for the leadership summit that the, this report um, is a report of, uh, came out with a call to action, a manifesto, or a challenge to uh, mainly, you know, particularly philanthropic institutions, foundations, as well as philanthropists. And one of the uh, uh, key parts of that challenge was to uh, urge them to spend at least 1% of all assets on ecosystem building funding. And uh, uh, if you, you know, think about a trillion dollars in just the United States and, and philanthropic foundations, you know, 1% uh, would certainly make an impact in, in helping to, to build the economy. I think, you know, there are those who think that that figure should be quite a bit higher than 1%, but uh, it's a good starting point, 1% of assets. And so who are the, who are some of the cutting edge uh, foundations or philanthropists or impact investors that you think are really building out or looking at that ecosystem or or are really like leading in that space that folks might want to learn mm-hmm. about? Yeah, well, uh, definitely a few come to mind. The the one kind of group that I'm working very closely with right now, and that uh, is that, and it's a initiative that Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors is the the kind of taking the lead on. But it includes uh, Ford Foundation's Impact Investing Thrust, uh, Skoll Foundation, uh, uh, DRK Draper Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation, Porticus, which is an international, uh, I think, a UK-based or Europe-based um, uh, philanthropy, 
And uh, so they have an initiative called Scaling Solutions, and uh, the ecosystem building element in that is, is uh, pretty central. Uh, there are, um, there, you know, there are very, <laughs> very few who are ecosystem uh, focused. There's, there's um, with the emergence of place-based impact investing, which is another thing I love to talk about alongside place-based education, which is something I've been involved with for several decades. Um, it, with the emergence of, of place-based impact investing and kind of thinking about, you know, uh, regional impact, well, what I would call impact economy development, um, we're seeing uh, the kind of the ecosystem-minded funder emerging because in order to act, um, you know, in a, in a regional economic development way that has, has impact at its core, one, you know, it, it just in, inevitably leads one to think about what the infrastructure, the uh, um the, the those those key parts of the ecosystem that will help bring this alive so we're see so for example uh MacArthur Foundation and one or two other uh Chicago area foundations have committed quite a lot of money at least 100 million dollars to something called Benefit Chicago which is uh, largely designed to inspire the birth of uh, for benefit uh, businesses in the Chicago area. Uh, Boston Impact Initiative is one I, I love to, uh, to to kind of talk about and and celebrate because they really are authentically cutting edge, doing a cutting edge work around integrated finance in and place based impact investing in underserved neighborhoods underserved neighborhoods in the Boston area. That's uh, a there temper, are other freeze, right? Yes, exactly, Deborah. She's she's fantastic. She was at our leadership summit in July and uh, is a very articulate advocate for a, a, a lot of this stuff. And and, and more so than an ad, uh, kind of a vocal advocate, she is doing it. She's experiment. You know, she's she's exper- She and her colleagues, Greg Watson and others there at, at Boston Impact Initiative, are, are are just digging in and using integrated finance and experimenting and and really fantastic ways uh, and and uh, you know really legitimately helping those communities um, so that's that's all very promising i think you know another thing we could discuss uh, if, if if we had the time would be opportunity zones i think that uh, the the opportunity zone legislation and the opportunity the opportunity that opportunity zones are, are offering to underserved communities around uh, the country is a potentially revolutionary um, breakthrough for impact investing. It has some potential uh, pitfalls uh, or, or um, the concerns about misuse of, of the opportunity zones that uh, you know are being vocalized uh, by different people. And so we, there's some concerns around that, but that um, is a promising um, uh, uh, new instrument that we have, you know, that's come from the federal level and uh, it could, uh, you know, be a, it will, will likely be a key part of building out ecosystems, impact ecosystems locally 
in you know in very in, in quite a few places around the country. Yeah, I mean we've got you know a couple more minutes. Do you want to speak a little bit more about what the opportunity zones are and why they're important? Sure, sure. So this was uh, something it, it, rather shockingly. This was a piece of legislation that was completely bipartisan, uh, voted on and included in the uh, very not bipartisan tax bill uh, that was passed last year. Um, but but um, both left and right uh, it embraced the uh, the opportunity zone legislation. So that says something in and of itself. What? Opportunity Zone legislation does is it allowed states to identify based on um, scientific data around uh, you know uh, that, that that marked out communities that are economically under uh, 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 poor communities and uh, underserved communities in different parts of the country. It allowed states to identify a certain number of those. Uh, areas, and that was done earlier this year by all the states. So we the the actual opportunity zones um, are have have been uh, decided on now, and you and there's if you Google opportunity zone map, you can you can find out if area you know which areas are designated opportunity zones. Um, what the legislation allows for is that if you are you, a person or an institution, organization, uh, have any kind of capital gains from past investments. You can, uh, instead of paying the te- when you sell that that those investments, instead of having to pay the tax that you owe on uh, the, the the capital gains from that investment, if you uh, turn that around and put them into an opportunity fund, which fund which invests in businesses. Uh, uh, kind of nascent businesses as well as existing businesses within a specific opportunity zone that your the tax that you're due to pay on that capital gains is deferred and if you keep that investment in the fund for uh, 10 or more years you get a 15% uh, discount on the tax that you pay. But the big kicker is that the the new investment that you've made into the opportunity zone, if those investments are successful and make money, all capital gains, all those new capital gains from the new investment are entirely tax-free. So this is a massive, uh, uh, there's a massive tax benefit here for investors and, and therefore a huge incentive to uh, to do something that uh, you know savvy investors have been wary of uh, for for forever, which is investing in um, uh, communities that don't have uh, a, a strong infrastructure, a business infrastructure, and and are underserved. Uh, it, it is such an attractive thing that uh, I, at recent impact investing conferences I've been at. Opportunity zone investment is definitely emerging as a big topic. At the last one I went to, a multi-billion-dollar fund uh, uh, announced that they had recently committed 25% of all their assets uh, to opportunity zone investing. They felt so strongly about um, the uh, the 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 advantages of of this new uh, uh, you know the, the, this new tax incentive that's been created. So uh, 
so that's a little bit about uh, Opportunity Zone. I think what we're seeing early on, maybe not unpredictably, is that uh, a, a lot of the early Opportunity Fund and in, in Opportunity Zone investing is happening in the real estate section to uh, to develop real estate in Opportunity Zones. And uh, I think that there's there's you know many people in who who are uh, involved in these opportunity zones and the local governments and elsewhere we're very excited to see the uh, influx of, of capital to develop um, uh, rundown areas. Uh, there is concern that uh, there would there's a gentrification process that uh, could uh, inevitably arise by improving uh, buildings uh, so much that uh, that the rents uh, that will need to be charged for the upgraded places will price out the inhab the current inhabitants of those places, which are, you know, quite reasonably the people you're trying to help. So that's a uh, that's one example of a concern that uh, needs addressing and and um, is is uh, will have to be addressed as opportunity zone development really kicks into gear, which I think we're going to see happening very quickly because uh, uh, there, there are um, kind of timelines to uh, the legislation that, uh, that, that could suggest that the sooner one gets involved in, in placing um, opportunity zone, uh, you know, those opportunity funds into, into communities uh, sooner than later is, um, is important. So I think you're going to see a lot of a big influx in the next uh, 12 to 24 months. That's fascinating. I had no idea that that was, uh, that there was any bipartisan stuff in that tax bill. So that's interesting. <laughs> I know. Well, um, we are uh, out of time. So why don't we, um, why don't you tell folks, if maybe if there's any resources you can point to maybe on opportunity zones and also where can folks learn more about you and your work, like website or get in touch with you if needed. Sure. Uh, well, impactalchemist.com is our website, so you can pretty much see the scope of our work and also join the Impact Entrepreneur Network through there. I urge people on LinkedIn to join the Impact Entrepreneur Group on LinkedIn. Uh, we, uh, as I mentioned, we recently released a report uh, with Rockefeller Philanthropy on some of the things we've spoken about, and you can request that report from our website. Um, you can also learn about our, our webinar series that we've just launched. We actually have our first webinar uh, coming up in a couple of weeks with uh, Impact Investing. Uh, one of their it's great luminaries, Jed Emerson, to launch that series. So uh, I'd urge people to join our email list so that they can be updated on the different webinars and other uh, workshops and, and programming that we're in the process of, of really ramping up right now. Um, opportunity zone investing. Yeah, just, just, uh, there's a number of really good resources out there, um, that have been compiled both by the government as well as organizations and in investment investors in the space. Uh, I would I'd urge you to, to do uh, opportunity zone map in Google to, um, to kind of get a, a lay of the land and then, uh, and then go from there. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining, uh, Lori. 
it's it's great to finally meet you, especially since we know 614 people on LinkedIn together. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you know, I encourage folks to check out your website and keep up the the great work you're doing in the impact space. Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. That concludes this episode of Next Economy Now. And now on to our mini interview with Doug Bistry, CEO of Clearinghouse CDFI. Okay, welcome, Doug, to this interview series, the Next Economy Now podcast. And you know, for listeners, I think one of the reasons I'm excited about Clearinghouse CDFI is that you're a lot different than other financial institutions. And if I'm a, a listener and thinking, well, how do they make these loans if they're not taking consumer deposits? You know, is there can people get involved through like investing in the bank or like, you know, how do you sort of get more capital to make these types of loans? Yeah. Well, and once again, we're not really a bank. We, you know, we are a CDFI and and we have to really be uh, make an important distinction between that, but we're, we're a lender and um, certainly corporations can support us. And if there were uh, high net worth individuals that uh, liked our mission, wanted to, make an equity investment in our corporation, we could certainly do that. They'd have to be accredited investors. Um, but so for us, um, you know, we are unique and, and we haven't talked about this yet, but when, when I started Clearinghouse CDFI, we incorporated as a for-profit CDFI. And there are really only, I think, four of us in the country um, of over, I think, you know, 1,500 CDFIs. And so for us, we, we raise both equity and debt capital. And right now we're big enough where we have a, a lot of resources for debt capital. But in order to grow and in order to continue doing the work we're doing, we do need equity capital. And so, yes, if there were listeners out there that were accredited and were interested in supporting the work that we're doing throughout our service area or in Indian country, uh, we would certainly find a way to, to get them involved and to offer them equity. And, and I might add that our equity uh, has performed quite well. We are uh, profitable and we've been profitable for the last consecutive 18 years. We're, we're very proud to say that. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating, it's not something that I would normally think of like if I'm an accredited investor, I could invest in Clearinghouse CDFI. So I think it's a pretty cool opportunity, I think. Yeah, it, it is. And, and we could certainly use it. Um, you know, one of the challenges with uh, growing CDFI is always keeping pace, uh, having our equity keep pace with our uh, debt capital. And, uh, you know, we've been growing since the year that we incorporated in 1996. And um, it's uh, it's extremely important to us. And, and having access to that uh, debt, uh, ca- uh, equity capital really uh, helps us tremendously in terms of growing. And, and it may be the, the thing you just mentioned, but is there any requests that you have for listeners to how they can help you grow this uh, next economy? Well, you know, I, I know you have a lot of uh, um, listeners that are, you know, socially responsible and, and, and you know, in the world of uh, foundations and things. Um, you know, we've had, with, with, with one exception, we've had a hard time, you know, cracking into foundations. Um, and I think it really harkens back to what we talked about earlier. And the fact is that we are a for-profit um, uh, CDFI. And it would seem to me that um, foundation could make, we're not looking for a grant from a foundation, but a foundation could make an equity investment in our company. Uh, we could provide a, a, a good return um, starting at 8%, maybe going up as high as uh, 15 or, or 18% over a five-year period. And so, um, to that extent, you know, we would love to talk to, you know, big 
uh, investors that have the ability to uh, invest uh, large amounts of equity. Um, we are attempting to raise 75 million uh, in this recapitalization. Uh, so it's a lot of money, but it will really fuel our growth for the next basically seven to 10 years. So um, I think, yeah, foundations, uh, other SRI uh, type of investors. And, and again, if there are individuals out there and they are interested in this, uh, we'd be happy to talk to them. Uh, we do have a, a place for, for them to participate. Um, although we really haven't, uh, you know, done that a lot in the past. We, we have really worked mostly with the banks and certainly with uh, banks continuing to uh, address CRA. Uh, look, I, I think I'm the kind of guy that if somebody wants to help us, I'd love to talk to you and we'll see what we can do. And, you know, we'll probably find a way for, for anyone out there who's listening that really wants to get involved with Clearinghouse CDFI to get involved. Wow. Eight. Eight to eighteen percent or fifteen percent—that's incredible. I think there's there's probably also some wealth managers uh, who sort of have a portfolio of um, high net worth folks who'd be interested in. That would, yeah, we would we would love to talk to those people. And where can folks learn more about Clearinghouse? And you know, say if there's any investors who are interested, what's the best way for them to get in contact? We have a great website that has a ton of information, including our financials. Um, it is www.cc dfi.com. Again, that's ccdfi.com. And uh, a lot of information there. There's contact numbers. Um, I'd be happy to, uh, to talk to anybody that uh, is serious about uh, investing or working with us. And also, you know, we're looking for projects to lend, um, you know, good projects. And so in, in our service areas, uh, California, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and all of Indian country throughout the United States. So if anyone is aware of an unmet credit need that has a good community impact or, you know, uh, often our loans are made to entrepreneurs, uh, people of color or, or members of groups that have been disenfranchised. And uh, if anyone is aware of loans, boy, we'd love to hear from them as well. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.